Let's stand together. Now, I'm going to read a couple of passages. The first service didn't get that. And some of you visitors are thinking, where have I landed today? Well, there's lots of ways to sing Amazing Grace, but it's all the same words. Amen? All right. Now, uh, we've been talking about the power of a disciplined life, and I've gotten so many great testimonies from this series. We need discipline, don't we? We need discipline. Let's read. Um, today, we're going to be talking about three public spiritual disciplines. Last week, talked about three private spiritual disciplines. But let's read 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. And look at what the Apostle Paul says about discipline. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, read it with me, church, train yourself to be godly. Now notice, who does the training? Who trains you? You. You've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Train yourself to be godly. Now here's why. For physical training is of some value, and it is of some value. Don't discount it. You may live longer. But godliness has value for everything. The more you grow spiritually, it has value for everything. Everything you touch is enhanced by enhanced godliness. Now, what does it hold promise for? The here and now and the hereafter. The present life and the life to come. Now, Paul always practiced what he preached. Let's look at what he tells us about his own life in uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 27. He said, I discipline my body. I tell my body what to do. It doesn't tell me what to do. When it wants that chocolate cake, I can say no. Some of you are already thinking about the restaurant you're headed for afterwards. When it wants that extra side of gravy, you can tell it, no, it was not meant to rule you. Now, he says, here's why I discipline my body like an athlete. I train it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself would lose the blessing, be disqualified because I wasn't disciplined. Father, thank you for your word today, and I pray you'll feed us and help us to be godly in jesus name now will you breathe a prayer church and say speak to me today lord i receive the word amen god bless you you can be seated and thank you for no texting in church if the phone rings i'm going to come down and answer it myself and i'm going to say hello yes this is pastor jeff and i am preaching what can we do for you we have text watchers circulating around the sanctuary. If they see you texting, we're going to bust you. Now, why are we talking about discipline? Discipline is needed when you don't want to do something that you ought to do. Now, what happens when we get saved is God puts within us a whole new set of desires. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Not a New Year's resolution, not rehabilitation. He's a new creation. And with that new creation, God gives you a whole new set of desires. It is the desire to be godly, the desire to please Him, the desire to walk in His will, the desire to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. 
Before you were saved, you had a kind of a problem with doing wrong, but your conscience was dulled. But now that you're saved, your conscience is not dull, it's awakened. So he gives you a whole new set of desires, a whole new set of motivations. Now, the problem is, between the, the desire and the destination, between the desire and obtaining it, you've got to have the bridge of discipline. Because most of us in here today have divine desires, divine want-to-dos that He has placed within us, but getting there is going to require discipline. And if we're not disciplined, we're not going to get there. We will remain dreamers and not obtainers. God wants us to obtain what He's given us a dream for. And that takes discipline. Like the man who became an incredible success and sensation. They said, what does it feel to be like an overnight success? He said, it took me 35 years to be an overnight success. And that's really true. The principle is simple. When we do what we don't want to do, we become what we really want to be. When we do what we don't want to do, that's how we become what we really long to be. It takes discipline. We're never going to reach our full potential in God without discipline. And we need discipline, listen, not only to reach our goals, but we need discipline if we're going to be deeper. Now, church, let me tell you the truth about the Western church for a minute. The Western church, my observation, after many, many years of walking with God and 26 years of pastoring, the Western church, and let's just say the American church, that's the one I know about, is often a mile wide but an inch deep. And have you noticed that there's three churches on every corner, but we're not in revival? Have you noticed that there's three churches on every corner, but America is sliding down? Well, I believe that we need greater depth if we're going to engage the culture in a way that gets their attention. It takes more than saying, Jesus loves you, this I know, because I think my Bible tells me so. It takes being able to answer them, being able to engage them, being able to speak to them from a deeper level. As I look at the church, I see strong on zeal, but weak on consistency. Deep in excitement, but shallow in theology. Quick to volunteer, but slow to follow through. Following this fad, that fad, and the other fad, but never really getting grounded and rooted and consistent and steady eddy. Richard Foster wrote these words. I love this quote. Superficiality is the curse of our age. And I believe that. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or a greater number of gifted people, but for a greater number of deep people. People who do know their God and are doing exploits. People who know the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. People who can answer the atheists, the agnostics, the evolutionists. We need deeper, deeper, deeper experiences in God and deeper walks with God. And it's never going to come apart from discipline, never going to happen. So last time, remember, we talked about the three private spiritual disciplines that will guarantee grow you spiritually because I believe the Lord spoke to my heart that our church was going to go up another level. I really believe that. And then I said, well, Lord, if that's going to happen, how's it going to happen? And he said, it's going to happen by them getting a stronger grip on self-control and discipline. 
Those three private spiritual disciplines were a quiet time with God, a routine quiet time with God, at least five days a week where you get alone with God, shut the door, take the phone off the hook, turn off the television, turn off the radio, get into a quiet place, shut yourself in with God, and second, read the Word of God, and third, pray to the God of the Word. At least five days out of seven. I believe any less than that, and you're going to begin to see it in spiritual anemia. We need to be with God. I said, Christian friend, we need to be with God. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday nights if you come then, and, and not watching some television preacher, though a couple of them I watch. Not many of them, but a couple of them. And you've got to learn to get with God and get a hold of God yourself. Why? Because we've got to have a stronger inner man. We've got to be strong in the inner man. If we're not strong in the inner man with the things that are coming upon this country and the persecution that is beginning to move across, yes, the land of the free and the home of the brave. Did you know that Franklin Graham was invited to speak to our military and was disinvited by the military because he said he felt Islam was cruel to women? And they disinvited the military of our land, disinvited the son of an American evangelical icon because he told the truth about another religion. We're being killed, smothered, suffocated by political correctness. And we as the church are going to have to get stronger in our inner man. And, and when you get your inner man strong, Jesus just kind of comes out. Get your inner man strong and stick you with a pin, and Jesus comes out anywhere they stick you. We need Jesus on the inside. So I'm going to talk to you about three public spiritual disciplines today, three public ones. I'm only going to be able to get to two because the third one d- d- deserves next week all by itself. But here they are, regular church attendance. That's crucial if you're going to grow in God. Second, wise friendships. Third, ministering to others or moving in your gift or doing good works. Those three things, public things, public issues, have got to be done if we're going to grow spiritually. Now, I think I'm talking to people that want to grow spiritually. Am I? Am I talking to people that want to grow in God? You want to look like Jesus, talk like Jesus, walk like Jesus? Is Jesus your hero? Is Jesus your teacher? Is he your philosopher? Is he he the one you're following? Is he your master and not just your savior? Well, let's talk about the first one, regular church attendance. Now, I know you're thinking, well, I'm here. So why are you talking about this? Because if, if you are a regular church attender, then I want to illuminate you a little bit on why we do what we do. Why are we here like this? Why do we come? But if you're not a regular church attender, this is for you. And if you know somebody that ought to be in church and isn't, get the CD and take it to them and let them hear the Word of God. Now, listen to this passage in Hebrews 10:25. He says, And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another, which means stimulate one another spiritually encourage one another, sharpen one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Now that's the Word of God. That's not, 
That's not something we're supposed to go pray about or decide whether or not it's for us. If you say that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the word of God to you. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Now, apparently, the writer of Hebrews was in a church situation where a faction of that church had decided they didn't need to meet together with the rest of the folks. Maybe they thought that they were more spiritual than them or more mature than them, or maybe they didn't think the messages were deep enough or for whatever, or, or the people were hypocritical. You know, you hear that all the time. I don't go to church anymore because it's a bunch of hypocrites. Well, if you're a believer and you're out of church, you're a hypocrite. So come join us and let's all be hypocrites together. Okay? But now, uh, apparently there, there had been this, this faction of people that had decided, well, I don't need local church. Uh, you know, I'm above it or whatever. And so he says, you're wrong. You're wrong in this decision. It's not a biblical decision, and it's not the will of God, because we are to meet together. Now, let me tell you what I mean by regular church attendance, so that you don't think that I'm talking religiously. I don't mean putting in your time. I don't mean punching a spiritual time clock. I don't mean, well, you know, I haven't been in church for a while. I've been messing up some, so I'll just put in my my time. We don't come to church to put in our time. We don't come to see somebody's new dress or new suit or to make business connections. That's not why we're in church. I mean that we ought to attend church regularly, and this is what the Bible says, for three reasons, edification, exhortation, and comfort in the Holy Ghost. When you meet together, you ought to edify and exhort one another and comfort one another as you see the coming again of Jesus approaching. So we are to be here for a spiritual purpose, not for any other. We're here to be built up in the faith. I'm going to build you up in the faith today. I guarantee you, because I know I'm preaching the Word of God, you're going to leave today better for having come. I know you are, because if that wasn't the case, you wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be growing. You need the Word of God, I need the Word of God, and you're going to leave today better for having come to church than if you had stayed home and watched TV. Now, let me tell you what I have found in the New Testament and just studying it this week. There is never seen in the New Testament, not ever, not one time do you ever find a Christian that does not belong to a local assembly. They're not there. You don't find them. They all had a church home. Find a Christian in the New Testament, and he or she will belong to a local church, Galatia, Colossae, Philippi, Rome. Look through all the epistles. All the epistles you read were letters written to local churches where Christians were attending. If you were a Christian, you were in a local church. And you know what else I found? I found that the churches knew who their congregants were. They knew who their sheep were. They knew exactly who they were. For instance, we know that they had lists of names in the local assemblies of their people. People say, why do I need to come down and join the church and fill out a card? Because the Bible shows us they knew the names of their people. We need to know your name. If you get sick and put in the hospital, we don't know. We don't have telepathy. We have to have your name. you got to be known. And in the Bible... Every believer was known in a local assembly. There's no getting around it. Paul wrote to Timothy and talked about the widow's list. 
The first deacons were uh, uh, created to minister to the needs of the widows who they knew in their local congregation, knew their names, and they knew their needs, and they created a ministry just to take care of them. They were known. We know that there were between the churches letters of recommendations commending one member to another church when he left a certain area. Did you know that? Did you know moving your letter? I don't know about, a lot of churches do that. Nothing wrong with that. But did you know that that originates in part in the New Testament? Paul would would, would write to the church and he would say, so-and-so is on the way there. And he would talk about his or her faith, his or her walk, his or her ministry. And he would tell the local assembly they were coming to be a part of their church. When Paul wrote to the Roman church, he named names. You read Romans 16, the last chapter in Romans, and you see a whole bunch of names. Paul just starts listing names. And he, and he says something about every person he names. He knew them. He knew their names, knew their ministries, knew their faith level, knew their successes, and he knew their failures. He knew who attended the Roman church and many things about their faith and many things about their ministries. He knew. Listen to this. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the church that meets at their house in Rome. I know them. I know their names. Greet them. He says in another verse, greet Mary. And listen to what he says about her, who worked very hard for you. Paul knew. Greet Apelles, who is tested and approved in Christ. He knew. Apelles was known. And he said, he's coming. Greet him. Greet Herodian, my relative. I bet Herodian was glad he stopped right there. Paul said, I got a relative in your church. And just said, greet him. He's my relative, Herodian. Listen to this one. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. And say hi to his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Look at how, listen, there, there were no unknowns in the churches in the New Testament. Everybody was known. Everybody had a place. Everybody had a family. Everybody had a place they called home. They had elders. They had leaders. They had church family. The bottom line is there were no lone rangers, no elitist Christians that felt they were above the local gathering. There were no ivory tower super saints whose revelations and experiences exempted them from the local assembly. Peter, James, John were all in churches. Peter walked down the street. His shadow healed people, but he went to church. And we also find That in Hebrews chapter 13, the teaching that all Christians were to be submitted to local elders and rulers in local churches. They were to be submitted and accountable. Listen to chapter 13, verse 7 of Hebrews. Remember the leaders that teach you the Word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the example of their faith. He says that to every believing Christian. I want you to look at who's teaching you the Word of God, who is ministering the Word of God to you. Follow their faith and remember them. That means honor them. So that that very verse presupposes every Christian in a local church or they couldn't do this. 
Listen to verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. That's, that's a, the scariest passage in the New Testament to me. Right there. Because one day, I'm going to give an account for how I minister the Word of God to you. That's why I will not dilute it. I won't water it down. I'm never going to let go of the blood of the cross, of salvation, of heaven, of hell. Because listen, I'm going to answer. And this is why it says the teacher will receive many stripes. Because I'm going to give an account for how I minister the Word of God to you. So I tremble at this and I scour the Word. I study it until it's coming out my ears. I want to be sure what I tell you is God's Word and not mine. And so that's why I'm telling you today, it goes on and says, Obey them so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you know there are preachers that wake up and dread going to church? You know why? Because they are so criticized, so, so uh, scourged, so uh, run down by their congregations. They got deacon boars that wouldn't know Jesus if he bit them in the foot, and they're telling the preachers how to preach and what to say, hiring them and firing them. And they dread going to church. I don't feel that way. I'm excited. I love waking up and saying, when they said unto me, let's go to the house of the Lord, I was glad. I love it. But he says, obey them. Now, the word obey got a bad ring to it. Let me tell you what he's actually saying. He's not saying that the preacher is a tyrant, a dictator, telling you where to go, what to do, who to marry, who to bury, uh, where to work, how much money to make, or anything like that. No, none of that. The word obey is saying simply this, submit to the word of the Lord that they're bringing to you. Listen to the word of the Lord that they're bringing to you and honor it. Obey the word of the Lord they're bringing to you. They're laboring in the word. Obey that. This is what every believer is supposed to be in. There is not a believing Christian in the New Testament that's not in a local church. So the Bible is crystal clear that one of our public spiritual disciplines is not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Now listen to what he says, especially. Can everybody say it with me, especially? Especially why? Why should you and I not forsake the assembling of ourselves together? He tells us, especially now that the day of the Lord is drawing near and he's about to come back. I don't know where you are with that, but I've been studying prophecy for a long time, and I'm a very diligent student of the Word of God, and I'm going to tell you, I believe that Jesus is near right at the very door. Prophecy is coming to pass so fast, you can't hardly keep up with it. Every day, the newspaper is like reading Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the minor prophets, Matthew 24, it's all happening like dominoes falling. He's about to return. He said, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. As you see the day of the return of Jesus approaching. Now, why is it so important that especially then we need to keep going to church? Well, because of what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 10, Many will turn away from me in the last days. Many will turn away before I return. Many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. He's not talking about just the love between each other. 
He's saying there is a vertical loss of love for God in the last days, and that's what causes the horizontal betrayal of one another. Because your relationship with Him has been compromised and you have grown cool, you do not honor horizontal relationships like you normally would. You are only as strong as your vertical relationship with God is strong. This relationship, the vertical one, keeps the horizontal ones intact. He said in the last days there's going to be a walking away from the truth. And many are going to have their love for God grow cold. What is the purpose of meeting together? It is so that we can stimulate one another, exhort one another, encourage one another in the faith. It's how we keep our hearts on fire for God. It's how we do it. The Bible tells us in the early church they came together on the first day of every week and probably several other times during the week for fellowship. That's what they did. And the reason they did it was because of Hebrews 10 saying, you better stimulate one another to good works. You better encourage one another to good works. You better help one another. You better assist one another. You know, I've got a, um, amen, we have an upset child. Amen. You know, we have, I've told you we have bird feeders outside. Here's what I've noticed about birds. They are terrified of one thing, and it's a four-letter word, H-A-W-K. We can have a bunch of birds out there in our feeders, and we can be in our room, and all of a sudden we hear this huge noise where they have all fled, and so fast they hit the windows. I mean, they're getting out of there, and you look out there, and there's a hawk flying above, and they see him. Now, here's what political correctness is telling us. Political correctness tells us, don't judge anything. Don't judge anything. Don't, don't judge anything. Just uh, live your own life. Don't judge anybody. Don't pass a judgment on anybody's lifestyle. Don't do anything like that. Don't call wicked, wicked. Don't call evil, evil. Don't call wrong, wrong. Let's just all live together and be happy. And, and, and don't judge anybody's lifestyle, which is the philosophy of fools. What if those sparrows out there decided to be politically correct? Hey, dude, you see that hawk up there? Yeah, but it's not a hawk. <laughs> and even if it is a hawk, don't say it's a hawk. Just keep on nibbling on the bird feed. Don't offend him by calling him a hawk. We don't want any hawks offended. And you know what you've got after a while? Dead sparrows. So when the Bible says, oh, you don't need, or, or when people say, you don't need church, you don't need to go to church, just, just do it your own way. And, and uh, don't, don't judge people's lifestyle. You know, you don't have to go there to be right, and it's not wrong for you to do something else. Listen, judge it. I was listening this week to a talk show host who was talking with a woman who said she was a missionary. So this talk show host said to her, said, oh, well, you're a missionary. Where do you go to church? And here's what she said. Oh, I go to church in my own heart every day. I don't need any building to bring me closer to God. And when I heard that, I thought, what a tragic misunderstanding. 
on what local church is all about. Because church is not a building. It's not brick, mortar, stone, wood. That is not what a building. This is not church. This building is not a church. Church is you. You are the church. Church happens because you're there. And if you're not there, there is no church. Church walks in when you walk in. Church happens when you happen. Because when you walk in those doors, you bring Jesus with you. And when you bring Jesus with you and we begin to worship together, He gets out. And when He gets out, the anointing fills the place. And when the anointing fills the place, then we have church. I heard a guy talking about his long marriage one time. And they said to him, how long have you been married? He said something like 35, 40 years. And they said, oh, well, where's home? And he pointed to his wife and said, wherever she is. Boy, did he score points that day. <laughs> but listen to this. You know where church is? Wherever you are. I can tell you, we, we turn Cracker Barrel into church every Wednesday night. It doesn't matter where you are. A bunch of us get in there. You can hear them when you walk in. Da, 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 ha, 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 ha. It sounds like they've been drinking, but they haven't because they're having so much fun. You go in there and you see a whole table full of turning point people. And anybody else that happens to be in the room knows they sat down in the wrong room. Because <laughs> they're hearing about God and Jesus and blessings and prayers. And church is wherever you are. We can go to a park today and have church. So you got to stay in church or you're going to grow cold. It's a guarantee. Now here's the second discipline, and that's fellowship with other Christians. This falls in the whole category of who you're with when you're not in church. How important is this? It's crucial. Let me tell you what one of my little sayings is. When God wants to bless you, he brings a person into your life. Isn't that true? When Satan wants to destroy you, he brings a person into your life. I want you to think about that statement. Because we are told in the Bible that God sows people into situations, into our lives. And Satan sows terrors that look like the real thing into your life. So let me say it again. When God wants to bless you, he'll put a person in your life. Romantically or in a friendship. Whatever the relationship happens to be, when God wants to bless you, he puts a person into your life. When Satan wants to destroy you, he'll put a person into your life. Is that true? Oh, yeah, it's true. Solomon was destroyed by the wives he married because they carried him off into idolatry. The Bible's full of this principle. God told his people, don't intermarry with unbelievers. They will corrupt you. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit because I fully intend to. Because <laughs> I care enough about you to tell you the truth. And I know how the devil works. And I want him destroyed. I want him exposed. I don't want you going down. I want you going up. I don't want you destroyed. I want you edified. So listen to the word of God now. If Satan wants to destroy you, one of his best tactics is to put a person in your life who seems right, feels right, looks right. Oh, they're my dream. I've met my dream. Have you really? Have you really met your dream? Let me tell you what. You may have met a body. You may have met a face. 
that it was your dream. But you're going to have to wake up with their character one day. Oh, but with this one and their body and their face, that's okay with me. No, it's not. Because you're going to wake up with their character one day if you stay with them. And if it's a friendship and they just seem to fit, you have a lot in common, you've got to do what I said about the sparrows and the hawk. Political correctness says, don't you judge them. Don't you pass a judgment. Doesn't the Bible say, judge not that you be not judged? Yes, it does say that. It's talking about the wrong kind of judgment. It's talking about harsh, pharisaical, fleshly judgment. It's not talking about spiritual judgment because Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. How am I going to know anybody by their fruits if I don't judge the fruit? I got to judge it. So at the beginning of a friendship or the beginning of a dating relationship, whatever it might be, you better be looking at character. You need to look at what they do when you're not around. You need to look and see if they go to church before they knew you, if they study the Word before they knew you, if they give glory to God in their life, if they are seeking Him, if they know Him, if they love Him. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to find it out. Why, Pastor Jeff? Why would it even matter? I shouldn't sit in judgment of people like that. The Bible says you have got to protect yourself from the wrong kind of people. And the only way you're going to do that is to judge. It's the only way you're going to do it. Now listen to what the Bible says. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? But we love each other. Let it go. It'll go away. You'll live. Pastor Jeff, you've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you at all. How can I possibly say that to them? Just say it. I've already told the Lord. I'm a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I've already told the Lord. I don't see anybody unless they feel the same way I do. And my discernment is you don't. So you know what? Until then, adios, God bless, Godspeed, see ya. Oh, Pastor Jeff, you're being mean today. That's not mean. What's mean is if you continue in it, what's going to happen to you? That's mean. The Bible's filled with warnings about befriending the wrong kind of people. Let me just read a few to you. Proverbs 12, 26. The righteous should choose his friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Look who wins and who loses when the righteous hook up with the wicked. The wicked lead them astray. How many times have I visited people in jail and in prison? One of the first things out of their mouth. It all began when I began to run around with blah, blah. That's how I got in this trouble. I was a church kid. I was a church person. Loved the Lord. But I started running around with the wrong crowd, and all of a sudden, wrong looked right, and right looked wrong, and I began to be corrupted, and my thinking got clouded, and before I knew it, I was in trouble. How did it happen? The wicked led the righteous astray. How about this one? Walk with the wise and become wise, or associate with fools and get in trouble. Or how about this? He who walks with wise men will be wiser, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. 
Who's a fool? People that don't honor the Lord in their life. See, everybody in America is a Christian. You're a Christian, you love your mom, you love apple pie, and you believe in Chevy. Everybody's a Christian. But let me tell you the truth. Not all of them walk with God. Not all of them walk with God. And so I don't care if they say they're a Christian. Judge the fruit. Church, are y'all with me? This is a public discipline. You've got to do it. Let me, let me tell you what a godly friendship should do for you. How many of you want to increase in wisdom? Anybody want to increase in wisdom? All right. Listen to this. Walk with wise men and you'll become wise. Or how about this? A sharpening of your walk with God. Anybody want their walk with God sharper? Your, the relationships you're in are either sharpening you or dulling you. Which one is it? A sharpening of your walk with God. It says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. I will not let into my inner orbit anybody that will not sharpen me. Anybody that doesn't walk with God. Anybody that doesn't love the Lord as a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. Like I have decided, I won't let them in my inner circle. I talk to a lot of people. I talk to a lot of lost people. I talk to a lot. It's not that I'm being exclusive, elitist, or snobbish. I know that when it comes to the inner circle, the Bible tells me what fellowship does light have with darkness. And I want to be sharpened. So I talk to men who are wise. I spend time with men that are wise and men who are walking with God and excited about the things of God and want to know the Lord and they're growing in God and they're receiving revelation and they're, ex- they're, they're, they're growing in their, in their uh, spiritual life. That's the ones I walk with on purpose. How about loving rebuke when you need it? You're not going to get that from somebody that's not godly. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. An enemy will kiss you. Enemy. They'll kiss you and lie to you. They'll kiss you and turn around and stab you in the back. They'll, they'll walk out when you get in trouble and they'll walk in when you're successful. A real friend walks in when everybody else walks out. A real friend sticks closer than a brother. How about wanting comfort in times of failure? That's what a real friend does. A friend is always loyal, the Bible says, and a brother is born to help in time of need. Have you ever noticed with the ungodly, when you're down, they're gone. They're there for the party, gone when the bills come due. Ask the prodigal son. When he had the money and he had the success and he had everything going for him, he was full of friends. But when he was in the pigsty, eating pig's food, forsaken, lonely, abandoned, and depressed, there's not one human being there with him. Where'd all those friends go? The money was gone. See you, dude. Thank you. Without the discipline of choosing friends wisely, your walk with God is going to be hindered, I guarantee you. You say, well, Pastor Jeff, what if I'm lonely? Well, so what if you are? Can you handle a little bit of loneliness? Well, I don't like suffering. Baby. (laughs) Baby. Whoever told you that life was going to be without suffering? Don't you know that the right decisions sometimes bring pain? I mean, just because when you make a right decision, do you think you're going to hear Handel's Messiah? 
a hallelujah chorus and angels singing from heaven because you made a right decision. Sometimes you make a right decision and you go deeper into pain. You know what you do? You suffer with Jesus. You say, okay, I'll be lonely. Well, Pastor Jeff, you know, let me tell you what happened to me. I came out of the drug culture as a, as a teenager. I, I was a little young kind of hippie kid, didn't really know what it was all about, but I did drugs, just the usual uh, recreational hippie drugs. When I got saved, I was very known in my city. It was Richardson, Texas. I was known. I, I was popular in my group. I knew everybody in the city and everybody knew me, but I got powerfully born again. I mean, I had this experience with Jesus and no denying it. And the first thing that hit me was, there's no way I can run around with these people and succeed in my walk with the Lord Jesus. No way. And so I thought, what am I going to do? And I found a secret. You don't have to tell them to go away. You don't have to have some big breakup session. I hate to tell you, but it's time for me to go. No, just go in there and go, hey, guess what happened to me? <laughs> And they go, yeah, what happened to you? Wow, well, I prayed. I asked Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins, and the blood covered my sin, and the Lord filled me with the Holy. You'll get about that far, and you'll realize you're in the room alone. <laughs> so you're so worried about walking out on them. Hey, they're not worried about walking out on you. So you just get in there and you shine. You just let it go. Here's what happened to me. And you'll find that they're gone and you're alone and it's you and Jesus. And then you find the right kind of friends, those that sharpen you, those that bring wisdom to you, those that enhance your walk with God, those that give glory to God, those that have your values, your morals, the, the, the morals and the values you see in the Bible. And let God give you the new friends without it. You're going to be dragged down and hindered every day of your life until the right people are there. They are stumbling blocks to your walk with God. Now, I hear a woman and I hear a man. Here's what the woman is saying. But I'm dating him. What do I do? Tell him. I don't think that you're of the faith that I am. Uh, we need to call it a day and go. But can I love him in? No. No, probably not. Well, Pastor Jeff, where's your faith? My faith is in the Bible. The Bible says, oh, woman, how do you know you can save that man? Did you know that? Well, I believe God's told me he's going to be saved. Well, not by you. Not by you dating him and, and hanging around with him and being dragged down. Let someone else get him saved, get him cleaned up, and then you go and see him again. Boy, Pastor Jeff, hallelujah. I hear some visitors going, well, you picked a day to come to church. <laughs> I, I, this is so basic. 
if we can't do these, these disciplines, then we're never going to grow. You're, you're just going to be fumbling along until the day you die. So let's launch and at least obey God in the basics. Can you stand up with me? Say with me, regular church attendance and godly friendships. Two public disciplines. Next week, I'm going to talk to you about the third one. Good works. And it's a good message. I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to give the whole service to it. But let's just right now go to the Lord. And if you've got someone in your life, I know that this message hasn't blessed you. It's not easy. But I guarantee you, it'll be easier on you in the long haul. If you can say, Pastor Jeff, I've got someone in my life, some friendships, or I've kind of been in and out of church. I need to talk to Jesus about it. Would you do that right now while we worship for just a moment? Go ahead and do it right now. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I give you that friendship. I give you that group of people I'm running with. I want to please you more than anything else. Now let's just lift our hands and say, Lord, I give to you anything hindering me. And I ask you, Lord, to help me to obey in these basics so that I can grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Give him a hand of praise today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.